We're going to jump back in at Acts chapter 20. If you've got a Bible, like a physical book, you can follow along there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Or you can follow on your phone, which is probably easier to find. Or you can just follow along up here. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood." I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. And being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Okay, great. So this long, long passage ends with a very heartwarming scene where Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. And as it mentions, they hugged him, they embraced him, they kissed him, and they were weeping as they said goodbye to him. And this is something that we used to get all the time, but that doesn't really happen that much anymore. I remember when I was seven, uh, I used to live in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, not that far from Sesame Place, and then we moved to Maryland. And I had a best friend in Langhorne whose name was Raymond. And when we left, I said, bye, Raymond. And then we moved to Maryland, and we had this long driveway down the hill. And as soon as we got there, I probably walked up and down that hill as a seven-year-old like 20 times, and I thought, that's it. I guess I'll never see Raymond again in my entire life. <laughs> but nowadays, that doesn't happen anymore. With the internet, it's like, okay, I'll text you when I get there. And this is awful for a person like me because I'm out of sight, out of mind. And so once you're gone, I'm kind of like, 
you're, you're gone. I forgot about you. And it's strange because of the way the internet is, the people you end up staying in contact with after they're gone are not necessarily the people you are closest to. It's just the people who happen to be on Instagram the most and commenting on liking on your photos. And you develop this whole relationship that you didn't have before. So now tearful goodbyes and I will never see your face again doesn't really happen as much as it used to. But every now and again, it can happen. So maybe seven or eight years ago, I got a call from my mom saying, your grandma's in the hospital. You got to come. So we flew over to Korea, and she was 94 at the time. So we're like, okay, this is it. So we spent two weeks there, and we were just waiting around and, you know, trying to, like, be supportive and there for one another. And then she recovered. And so she ended up living another seven years. She died at 101. (laughs) But when we left... I knew, like, this is probably the last time I'm going to see you because I can't come back and forth to Korea, and so this is the time. So we said goodbye, and you front-load that kind of goodbye in those type of moments. So it does still happen, and when it does happen, you end up reflecting about the impact that this person has made on you. And sometimes you think of small things. So when she first came to live with us in Maryland, we did not get along that well. She was like a young grandmother, and she was used to being in charge. And I was a rebellious little snot who didn't speak any type of Korean. And so we would conflict and clash all the time. But at some points, we'd have like sweet moments. Like we would watch MacGyver together and sit on the couch. And she did this thing where she would let me pinch the back of her hand and then watch her skin like crinkle up and then kind of go back down. (laughs) And she never like hit my hand away or anything like that. I did it like a thousand times because I was so fascinated by it. So there's little moments like that. But there's also these big moments. So in Maryland, we had this garden. And one day we discovered like there's these three chipmunks and they kept running in and out of this chipmunk hole. And every day we would go check on the chipmunks. Like, oh, how are the chipmunks doing? How are the chipmunks doing? And then after a couple of days, the chipmunks were gone. I'm like, oh, I wonder what happened. So one day we come back home, we come over the long driveway, and there's my grandmother standing in the garden. She's like covered in dirt. She's got a shovel in her hand, and <laughs> she's got a brown paper bag. And when we get there, we said, Harmony, uh, Harmony, uh, Grandma, what happened? And she goes, I found out what happened to the chipmunks. And, I s- and we said, what happened? She goes, it was a snake. And then she's like, you want to see? She opened the bag. She had killed a snake with a shovel <laughs> and then stuffed it into this paper bag. And I was like, oh, my God, my grandma is secretly like a superhero. But you think about like these big moments and these small moments and you reflect on the impact that this person made on you. And Paul is doing the same exact thing. He's saying goodbye. And in this long passage, he's giving a farewell address that reflects on what he thinks he has done for them. And he invites them to think about the impact that he's had on them. But embedded within this tearful goodbye, embedded within this uh, farewell speech, is a key that will help the church thrive no matter what situation we face. And that is the thing that Paul imparts to the church. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So with that, let's pray and then we'll look at what Paul says. Dear God, we just thank you so much for giving us this time. Um, We are here because we love you. And we want to grow in our love for you. We want to serve this church. We want to love people. And we thank you that passages like this exist to help clarify the best ways that we can do that. What I pray is that you would open up our hearts and give us uh, a reflective attitude today. Help us to think about what is it that I'm doing with my time? How can I best grow in my faith? How can I hunger for you? What is the thing that you're trying to teach me? And with that, um, help us to have the strength to obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
All right, so this is a long passage, but in the first couple of verses, Paul talks about the impact that he's had on them by reflecting on what he was doing there. So he was there for three years, and during this time, he could have said many different things. He could have been like, oh, guys, remember when we went out to eat at that uh, pizza place in Ephesus? It was so delicious. The pepperonis were so good. He could have talked about, hey, remember I told that joke and nobody laughed, and then everybody laughed? Or he could have talked about the miracles that he did, or he could have talked about um, some type of fishing trip that they went on. He could have talked about prayer meetings that they had, And from a certain perspective, Paul is not a very likely candidate to elicit this tearful goodbye. In his own letters, he talks about how he's not a very charismatic person. He's a very kind of boring and vanilla person. And in the passage right before this, he ends up talking to somebody for so long all through the night that the person falls asleep on him, falls out of a third-story window and dies And then he raises him from the dead and then brings him back. So he's not like this great dynamic preacher or speaker or anything like that. And not only is he not that dynamic of a person, but he's always getting persecuted. (laughs) Every place that he goes, people are after him. And if you're close to Paul, you end up getting beat up. And so you would think like, oh, Paul, I um, admire you, but please don't be close to me. Don't be near me. And when you dive into his letters, you find that he's a very black and white type of person. You're either with us or you're against us. I'm all for Jesus. If you're not for me, then you're against me. And we saw evidence of this with Mark. Barnabas wanted to bring Mark on their journey, but Paul's like, no way. He let me down. He's out of my life. And he eventually changed his mind. But that's his natural personality. And he's not the person you would think would be like, oh, Paul, I'm so sad to see you leave. Cry, cry, cry. Embrace, embrace. Kiss, kiss, kiss. But from this review of his life, you do discover certain other things, a different side of Paul. At the end of these verses, he talks about how he worked with his own two hands so that he would not be a financial burden on anybody, and that allowed him to be generous, especially generous to people who were weak. So we see this side of Paul where even though he's this kind of harsh personality, he has a soft spot for people and is able to do things for them, not maybe in the warm and fuzzy type of way, but with the actual things that he does with his money and his time. In verse 19, it mentions that he was a humble person. And in verses 19 and 31, it also mentions that he has tears for the people. And for the three years that he was there, he was crying and weeping with them. So he was able to empathize with them and be close to them. And so you'd expect somebody like Paul, who is humble, who has cried with these people for three years, who has given to the poor, who has done everything he can for this church, to leave them under the best possible circumstances. And he says, okay, guys, you will never see my face again, but don't worry, everything will be fine. But when you look at what he says, that's not what happens. In verse 29, he says, fierce wolves, after I leave, fierce wolves will come in and devour you. And not only that, but people from within your own midst will come and lead you astray. Now, when we had Arlo, uh, Jen and I basically watched her for a very long time. And as first-time parents, The first time we left her alone with uh, either set of our parents, we had a very detailed list. You have to put them to bed at 8.17 a.m. and make sure they stay in there until uh, 8.32. And if they cry in that time, do not touch them. Do not go near them. Do not walk past the door so they don't see your shadow underneath. You have to feed them 6.5 ounces every 3 hours and 33 minutes. You don't go here. You don't go there. You have to call us if this, 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 and that happens. So we were very, very, very guarded and specific. The first time we left Arlo, we did not say, oh, by the way, mom, after we leave, 
a wolf is going to come in and attack you and Arlo. And not only that, there's somebody inside the apartment who's going to come up and try and take Arlo away from you. But have a good time, good luck, and we hope that you make it. That's not what we did. But Paul does that. He goes, wolves are going to come and attack. People are going to rise up from among you, but I'm still going to go, and I think you're going to be fine. So how is it that Paul is able to leave them in this condition? As he reviews his time with them, he doesn't reflect on his jokes or his meals or his miracles or his prayer meetings, but he talks about what he thinks is the main thing that he did. And if you look at these verses, the verbs that he used are declaring, teaching, testifying, and declaring the whole counsel of God. The reason that Paul is able to leave is he's leaving them with what he feels is to be a secret weapon, which is the word of God. And he had spent the three years there not trying to get them to love him and not trying to get them to do all these other things, but trying to get them to read and understand God's word. And when he left, they were overcome with emotion, not because he was such a lovable person, but because he had taught them how to love God's word. And when you look through his letters, you get a flavor of what this might have looked like. One of the phrases that appears over and over again from Romans all the way to the last letter is, as it is written, as it is written. So you look in Colossians, and he says, as it is written. And he talks about from the beginning of creation, Christ was the firstborn of creation, and everything that was created was created through him. He moves on to Adam, the first man, and he says, through Adam, because of his sin, sin and death entered the world, but because of Christ, grace and forgiveness have entered the world. He moves over to Abraham, and he talks about Abraham being justified not because he was circumcised, but how God chose him before that because of his faith and how that is a model. He goes from Abraham to Abraham's son, Isaac, and says, your son, not Ishmael, the son of flesh, but Isaac, the son of promise, the son of miracle, is the one that is the model for the church. He moves on and on throughout the entire Bible. He goes to Exodus and he says, remember the people that were wandering and how they fell into idol worship, even though they experienced all of these miracles. This is evidence that we too can fall into idol worship, learn from their example. When he looks at Pharaoh and how God hardened Pharaoh's heart, he said, God is gracious and merciful to whom he is gracious. He looked at the law and he looked in the book of Deuteronomy and he said, you cannot just follow the law externally, but you need to be circumcised in your heart. And God did not write the law on tablets of stone, but he wrote them on your heart. So you are not justified by the law, but by faith. But he still uses the law for guidance on the church, for example, how to help Um, pastors get paid and different kind of other principles that he's able to draw from there. He goes on, talks about David as the one through whom Christ came via the flesh. He looks at Elijah and talks about how Elijah was promised a remnant, just like God has set aside a remnant for the church. He moves on to the Psalms and talks about our deep need for Christ. There is not one righteous, no, not even one. He looks at the prophets and how the prophets promise that a Christ is coming, but it's a suffering Christ. You need to have faith in him, and it's not just for Jews, but for Gentiles. Throughout his three-year ministry, he went through the entire Old Testament and imparted this set of knowledge to them because he knew that within it was the key, the power they needed to fend off wolves, the power they needed to fight off any dissenters within them. It was the thing that would help them grow. But it was not just this general knowledge, but if you look at what it says, it says that he applied that knowledge to them personally. In verse 20, it said he went from house to house. And in verse 31, it said he admonished everyone with tears. God's word is not a one-size-fits-all instruction manual like you get from Ikea. Any Ikea furniture you get, you get the same Allen wrench. You do the same thing. You get the same wooden pegs, and you do the same thing. It's, you don't really need it because it's the same everywhere. But God's word is not like that. It hits you differently 
then it'll hit me. It's more like seeing a therapist. They can't just give you blind advice and say, oh, um, you have to just do X because your situation might not cover X. It's like talking to a financial planner. They can't just say do this because everybody's financial situation is different. When you read the Bible, it's important to ask not just what is the Bible saying, but what is the Bible saying to me? How is God speaking to me through this passage? And this was a thing that the Apostle Paul was able to impart to them, not just sharing with them the Old Testament, but sharing with them throughout all of Scripture, this is how God is speaking to you. And he does this throughout his letters. Masters, you have to do this. Slaves, you have to do this in a slave economy. Husbands, you should love your wife like this. And wives, you should love your husbands like this. Children, try this. Uh, Parents, do that. Jews, do this. Gentiles, do that so on and so forth. Throughout his letters, he recognizes that God's word hits every single person differently and he's able to leave because verse 32 says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul can leave because they have the word of God. That is enough. It is the necessary and sufficient condition to make sure that the church continues to thrive and continues to grow. When we moved into that house in Maryland, it was a new plot, and that ground was covered in dirt. And so when we first moved in there, they put these like um, starter lawns on there, which were like large sheets of things, and then they sprayed this bright blue fertilizer on it, which was, I guess, covered with phosphorus, and it helps it grow. But that early lawn will die if you uh, expose it to too much heat and if there's not enough water. So you have to plant it at the right time. But what happens over time, starter lawn turns into established lawn and it's able to sustain itself and weather through different types of heat and drought. God's word is like that. Even though wolves are coming, even though uh, people might uh, rise up and divide the church from within, if you have God's word, it's able to protect you. Uh, I'm hesitant to do this usually because um, I don't like uh, financial metaphors too much, but Paul talks about an inheritance. So another way to think about it is developing an investment portfolio that is structured enough and rigid enough so that no matter what happens in the economics, whether there's a recession or a downfall, you know you have enough that can keep generating wealth for you so that even if you lose your job, you will be fine. That's what the word of God is. It's able to sustain a life itself within the church no matter what types of hardships might come. If you take the image that Acts uses the most, how did the Holy Spirit first come? It came in tongues of fire. Fire is the Spirit's main symbol. But what is it lighting on fire? Words. It's lighting on fire tongues. The Word of God is the wood that the church needs for the Spirit to come and burn. If we don't have the Word of God, the Spirit can come, but there's nothing for it to latch onto. There's nothing for it to grow. There's nothing for it to fan into flame, and the church will dissipate. We have the word of God, which is able and strong enough to keep this church going no matter what happens outside, no matter what happens inside. So my grandmother in her 80s was a very industrious woman and she took up calligraphy, Chinese calligraphy. And, you know, her teacher was like, you're the best <laughs> 80 year old student I have. <laughs> of course, she's the only 80 year old student that she had. But she would write these large canvas um, calligraphy things. And one of the things that she liked to do was write down different Bible verses. So the last time I was there, she gave me a scroll. I took it home. I opened it up and it's First Corinthians 13. And in big letters, it's faith hope, and love, and we have it hanging up in our bedroom. So when I look at it, I'm like, oh, I'm reminded of my grandmother, right? So even though she's gone, she left me with faith, hope, and love. 
Paul left, and he left them with faith, hope, and love. You have the word, and that is enough. So we're going through a lot of changes in this church, and you might be asking yourself, what is the best way that I can help this church in this moment? And our um, industrious uh, Korean, American, Asian mentality says we have to do something, and probably the first place you go to, I'll volunteer for this, I'll volunteer for that. What Paul is saying here is, Yes, that's fine, but if you don't do this first step, it's all for nothing. What's the best thing that you, every single person in this church, can do for this church? Read your Bible and allow it to take root in your heart and be prepared to see what the Spirit can do through that. If everybody in this church did that for the next year, I am perfectly confident that nothing could happen to this church that would shake it. So, we know that. But there are some objections. So I made a PowerPoint, actually. So, uh, yeah, read the Bible. Okay, I've heard it. Yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. Um, What is the Bible? Old Testament, New Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the, uh, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New, 66 books total. And it might seem like, oh, if I try to read through this entire thing, it's impossible to do. If you read four chapters a day, takes about 15 minutes. If you read four chapters a day, you can read through the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice in one year. So four chapters a day, 15 minutes, that's not that hard. It's half of a, a sitcom, right? It's a quarter of um, a regular American TV show. It's about a tenth of a Korean drama show, which extends to like um, three hours because they always do this shot, reverse shot, where a guy's looking at a girl, then the girl's looking at the guy, guy, girl, guy, girl. Even their comedy shows, they keep replaying the thing over and over again. So uh, just watch one-tenth less of your drama and you can do this, right? But we might also feel, you know, I've tried to read the Bible before. It's too hard because I fall behind and then I don't feel like I can catch up. Or we feel like it's too hard to understand, and I'm not sure what it's trying to say. So to address that, Sam and I have been praying and thinking and planning, and we are going to start Bible study as a church. So I'm going to hand this out so you can take a look at it. And this should um, hopefully address some of these kind of fears that we have. So I'll wait a second so that everyone can get it. Just so you know, in my other profession, I am a teacher, so this is a... Very teacher. (laughs) All right. So the phrase that Paul uses, he taught the whole counsel of God. So from beginning to end. And when you look up here on the um, PowerPoint, you'll see that you can divide these 66 books based off of genre and meaning different ways of writing. Right. And so the first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy, are called the law or the Pentateuch. And this is where Moses gives the law. And then the other categories are pretty self-explanatory. So what Sam and I wanted to do was to go through the entire Bible over the next six months or so, but not um, the 66 books, but taking a sample from each of these genres that we would read together within our own time, and then every other week doing an in-depth study of one of those chapters to help you get the most out of how to read that type of genre. So what you'll notice here is if you're at Roman numeral one, it says Pentateuch, the law, and then there's the first box and it says dates. And these are um, two weeks worth of dates, right? And I assume that you want your weekends to yourself. So only Monday through Friday is being counted. So I gave you the chapter numbers. There's 50 chapters in Genesis. So to read through those 50 chapters within 10 days, you have to read five chapters a day. 
That's almost the largest amount that you'll have to read, five chapters a day. But we'll start reading that tomorrow. And then on Tuesday, we'll look at Genesis chapter 24 and give some introduction on how to read Genesis overall. Then we move on to Deuteronomy, do the same thing, so on and so forth. If you are um, like the type of student who has mastered the art of the 89.5, meaning doing the least amount of work you need to get an A, you'll notice that the longest section is the prophet's. So Roman numeral four, Isaiah is 66 chapters long. But if you read that over the course of 10 days, it's six or seven chapters, right? And that's after we've gotten to the rhythm of it. Some of these things are only two chapters or three chapters. So you have 10 days to read two or three chapters. The reason we wanted to do it like this are a couple. Um, you can jump in anytime you want. So if you feel like you've fallen behind, don't worry. I'll send this around to the church. And on the Tuesday emails, I'll say, this is where we're at. Just jump in there and feel free to show up anytime you'd like. If there's something you want more in depth of, you can reserve more time for that. So hopefully all of those objections we have, I don't know where to start, start here. I'm afraid I'm going to fall behind. Just jump in when you can. I don't know how to read this. Join us for Tuesdays and we'll teach you how to read through this and get the most out of it, right? So um, I'm sorry for the waste of paper, but I felt like it would be best to go through um, while you're holding it. Feel free to throw it out (laughs) if you want because I'll email it. But at least for this, this is what I would like for us to do. And again, just to return back to it, why are we doing this? This is the most important thing that our church can do over the next year. If every one of us is spending time in God's word, suddenly the spirit has some wood to catch fire to, and then who knows what can happen. So please pray about this. Think about this. Have your heart open. God, I want to read your word. Can I do some of this? And then let's try to do this together. All right, let's pray. um, And then we will uh, continue to respond. So yeah, um, let's just open up our hearts to God. Um, We all know we should be reading the Bible. And the first place we can go is, oh, I feel guilty. I haven't read the Bible. Forget that. I mean, we're all busy. We all have things that are going on. But this is a great time to say, God, you spoke to me. And I really want to know what you're trying to tell me over this next year. And I've made my life so busy that it's impossible to be in your word. But when we start plucking through some of the things that keep our life busy, we see that there's time. You have 15 minutes here. You got 15 minutes there. Um, If you want to be serious about your faith and you really have that prayer, God, teach me something, this is the first and the best place to start. So let's ask the Spirit for a certain amount of perseverance, a certain amount of insight, a certain amount of hunger so that we can get to know him a little bit more. And as we pray like that, um, we're going to have, well, let's just pray like that for a little bit and then we'll respond together with song.